0: Show you a better way. You Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is May 15th, 2013. This is episode 1131 of the Survival Podcast, 1131 of the Survival Podcast. got a cool one for you today. Something we've never really gone deep into before. We've talked about it a little bit here and there in feedback shows. But today we're going to talk to Melanie Sorrentino on tiny houses. Melanie actually lives in a 150-square-foot tiny house with her and her husband. And we're going to talk about how they do that, how they did that, why they did that, and how it's really a very liberating thing to have done so young in their lives. And we'll have her on in just a moment. Before we do that, let's take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today jmbullion.com. Hey, there's been a lot of crap going on in the silver uh, world with TSP Mint and Mulligan Mint and uh, uh, Silver Bullet, Silver Shield, hasn't there lately? And I, I keep trying to tell people, I, I tell you, buy what you want. You want to buy my coins, buy my coins. You want to buy silver eagles, buy silver eagles. You want to buy pre-64 dimes, buy them. I don't care. I just want you to buy some silver because, well, there's news out today the United States government has moved to basically seize bitcoins uh, and the ability for bitcoins to be transferred. I'm not sure exactly how they pulled it off yet. I just read it this morning briefly. Uh, but there's an example right there of the government getting in the way of any type of alternative currency. They don't like it. They'll come up with some BS reason. People are buying crack with it or something stupid like that. People are buying crack with Federal Reserve notes on the street. But in any event... The one thing that you can know that you have that's of value is metallic commodity in your hand, and that can be exchanged privately. So I want you to make sure that you make silver a part of your investment portfolio. And if you're looking for generic rounds, if you're looking for silver eagles, one of the best places I could find for you guys to get that was jambullion.com. Those of you placing larger orders, they do offer a discount for MSB members as well. Check them out today, jambullion.com. Next up, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey guy? Shocking as it might be, you are going to get Berkey water filtration systems, but that's not all the Berkey guy has. He has a lot of other really great things, like some really great deals on Mountain House as well, with a discount on Mountain House for members of the support brigade. You'll really want to check into that. But if you're in the market for a Berkey or you need filters for your Berkey, go to the Berkey guy. Why? Why? Do you want to be the guy that got your Berkey stuff from the guy that's not the Berkey guy when you could have dealt with the Berkey guy? There's only one, Jeff Gleason, the Berkey guy. You'll find his website at directive21.com. That's directive and the number's 21.com. Uh, next up, I do want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. Voting is about to close on the naughty list. And uh, now that I've got a lot of crap behind me, so to speak, I think we'll be able to really ramp that forum up. I'm going to be looking for moderators... Uh, very soon, people to basically look after individual state boards. So if you're in Florida and you really want to be, you know, behind the push to bring people to Florida, uh, get in touch with me and I'll start building a list now so that as we establish those state boards, they can be moderated because I certainly can't moderate, you know, 40 state individual, 40 state boards or something like that. In fact, I'm not going to do a lot of moderation at all. I'm going to give life to this forum and uh, it's going to be community run and community uh, policed and community owned. It's going to be pretty freaking awesome and we'd love to have you there. Remember, if you don't want to leave where you're at, we still need you at walking In fact, we need you really bad. Because maybe somebody that's in a place that's really stupid, it's run by some really moronic individuals that don't believe in liberty and freedom, New Jersey, or maybe somebody that's living in a state that constantly figures out ways to squeeze every last dime out of their citizens with no fiscal responsibility whatsoever in running their own government, California. Maybe one of those people's like, i got to get the hell out of here. And maybe they're going, Tennessee might be the place for me, but I don't know anybody there. We need you guys. We need people that want to bring in like-minded, libertarian-oriented individuals on walkingtofreedom.com to help people find the right home for them. People always say when you talk about, well, leave California, leave New York, or whatever, they say, well, you know, all these people do that, and then they ruin where they go. That's the complete antithesis of Walking to Freedom. Our whole point here is, instead of bringing everybody to one place, is to let people find the place that's already most close to matching the ideals that they have about liberty and freedom bringing the right type of people into a place that's already free to make it more free, to balance the equation. That's what Walking to freedom's about, and it's the last act of defiance in a republic. It really is. The freedom of movement allows us to move within the member states so that we can vote with our feet. Check it out today, walkingtofreedom.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. You'll get tons of great discounts on top of it so that your membership will pay for itself, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service. If you email me with service discount in the subject line, tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, I will send you a discount code to save you even more money on your membership if you do that before, not after you join. And I also extend that to, like, emergency medical technicians, paramedics, firefighters, and the like, first responders. So... With that wrapped up, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Before I introduce Melanie, though, I do want to real quick remind you guys I am assisting with the relaunch of Silver Bullet and Silver Shield. I put out a video yesterday yesterday explaining exactly how and why and what I am doing with that. And that after this, I consider the matter of Silver Bullet and Silver Shield not my business and not my problem anymore. I've stood up and done what I think needed to be done to right or wrong and protect my reputation, protect my business, protect TSP Mint, protect customers of TSP Mint. I put out a blog post today. There's a link there where you can get some stuff from Silver Bullet, Silver Shield if you want to. Remember, I'm taking nothing for referring this business. There was an artist named Johan who did the original concept drawings, and all this drama got kicked and pushed to the side. Rob eventually found out about it. He made it right. He did pay Johan for his art, the amount that Johan asked for. I felt he asked for too little. I felt Chris Chris Dwayne profited on his back. And I felt that Chris Twain really insulted the honor and the reputation of the survival podcast, the work we do and the message of every citizen of Sentinel. So to balance that equation, I've supported Johan the artist and all of the proceeds from this launch. And it's not just the, uh, the freedom Rain coin, which is a really cool and quite expensive limited edition coin, but all of the business that you guys, uh, you, you know, purchased from SBSS through my link during this launch period. Uh, will be paid as commission in silver to Johan, the original artist that conceived of the coins. And despite all of the crap that went on over there, there are some beautiful coins. And I think there's going to be opportunities for Johan to work with Rob in the future on new concepts and new coins. That said, though, I am done. If, if Those of you who think I should have stayed out of this, I really would encourage you to read the blog post I did today about this and understand why I had to be involved. But on that note, I want you to hear something. You know what that is? That's, thank God this crap is behind me. I don't want anything to do with this any further. Chris Dwayne and everything that he brought into my life was nothing but a nightmare, and it's over now, for me anyway. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to talk about living that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And I think this show is going to be interesting to everybody, inspiring, entertaining, educational. I think even those people that are like, I'll never live in a 150-square-foot house, you know, at least as a permanent residence, are still going to have all kinds of ideas of how this might apply to your life. But I really want to kind of call on you young folks out there, you folks that are in your teens that listen to this show, late teens, mid-teens, early teens especially, and, and people in your early 20s. There's an example here of creating what either could be just a way to live or a stepping stone to much better things in your life by freeing yourself very early on of the obligations that come with mortgage or rent and doing so in a way that lets you live a really fulfilling life the way that you want to. You may have to give some things up, but once you do, you may find out you really haven't given up much. You may have gained an awful lot. That's what Melanie and her husband found out, is they worked hard, developed uh, some savings in a very tough environment, and then had to end up giving away most of their savings to family members and still pressed on. And today, they live in a tiny 150-square-foot house on 4.7 acres with a little homestead, and they have a really great life. They're able to save money. They're able to live the way they want to and be completely free of debt. I think Melanie is 30 now, and her husband is 28, uh, if I have the math right. That's a pretty awesome place to be in that young, especially considering they've never really made high wages in their lives. And with that, hey, Melanie, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hey, so w- this is going to be a cool show. I've talked about tiny houses before, but I've never actually had somebody on that like, lived in one and uh, built one and 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 you know kind of built their lifestyle around one so could you just kind of talk about how you guys even came to the idea that you were going to end up living in a house that is 150 square feet which is probably about the size of a lot of people's you know small bedrooms
1: yeah um my husband and i we were originally planning to build a underground house we got all pumped up from paul wheaton of course. And when we got to our land, um, we didn't have the money we originally saved. Um, Some family members needed some money at the last minute, and we figured it's just better to give them the money instead of build our house and kind of let them figure out, you know, how to deal with their own problems or whatever. So all of our saving money for building our house was gone, and so we kind of just needed to figure something out. So we looked into the shed people who build sheds in our area and found one that looked like a livable space and just kind of moved forward from there.
0: Okay. And, and what is it like living in a tiny house? I mean, you know, describe your place for us. And, and, I mean, it is small. I mean, it's not, you know, some people call a tiny house like a little bungalow or something, but this is a, a pretty small place.
1: Oh, yeah. Before... Before we lived in that, the smallest space we lived in was a 400 square foot apartment in Dallas. And that seemed small. And then when we downgraded into 150 square feet, it was like I close Jacksonburg. Yeah. It was a reality check for sure. So, it's basically one big room. There's a bunk to sleep on underneath the bunk is a couch and then a big space is pretty much the kitchen it's like a long counter we have enough room for a drum set a full-size drum set we have some guitars and a little pump organ uh space to put our clothes we actually have a lot of free space despite being how tiny of a little area it is how do you make mi- like- Go ahead. Living in a kitchen. It's basically like living in a kitchen with a bed, I guess is the best way to describe it.
0: How how do you guys manage to have free space with such a small space?
1: You know, we don't have extra stuff, and if we need anything, it really has to be decided like where we're going to put it before we get it. It's basically like a kitchen, like a pretty big kitchen in my, I mean, it's a bigger kitchen than I had in an apartment, and you just add a bed in there, it's lots of shelves it's basically like behind the couch is storage uh, lots of shelves on you know the whole wall is you know shelf going up shelf going down underneath the counter just there's pictures on my website it's the best way to describe it is you know just looking at the pictures I have a video on my website it's it's hard to really put into terms like when even when I see the outside of our house, it looks tiny. It really, really is a tiny space. But when you walk in, it's it's always like, oh, I get it. Okay, that that's that's livable. That's doable.
0: So your house, you keep saying kitchen, but when I think of kitchen, I usually think of well, you know, turning on a sink, things like that, and having plumbing. But you guys don't have any plumbing in this this house.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we- how's
0: how's that work? <laughs>
1: Yeah, pretty pretty wild. Um we have a 5 gallon bucket and it has a little spout on it and we just use that for uh you know for washing things. We haul in water. So we have like in our house we probably have like 50 gallons of water at any time plus extra water that we keep outside that's just for cleaning that we don't drink or anything like that. So we have a ton of water on on site, but none of it's pumped in and we just are, you know, Refilling that five gallon bucket every time, you know, we do dishes. It, it's so I, simple, but it's, it's, it's so different, you know, it's, it's hard to really, uh, imagine how easy it would be until you kind of get into the swing of it. Sometimes it's a headache, but overall it's a lot smoother, you know, well worth the price, let's put it that way.
0: Well, and then you guys put some of the, the cost of this into the land itself, right? So how big of a piece of land is this little bitty house sitting on?
1: It's, uh, 4.7 acres. Some of it on the slope, so it's not all usable. Um, but it's it's you know five acres of, of rocks and trees. <laughs>
0: but that's that, that's cool though, and I mean so I mean because I'm kind of thinking of the, the the Latin philosophy. I guess Latin is the right term for it. When I spent a lot of time in Central America, there was a philosophy of people that we live on our land, we sleep in our houses. <laughs>
1: exactly yeah the the outside is the real living um inside is you know is to keep your stuff dry and keep your food you know out of bugs and all that stuff but i'm I'm a homebody that's the really strange thing like i spend a whole lot of time in 150 square feet even though i have 4.7 acres like i look outside and i'm like this is beautiful and i do woodwork outside and i you know hang out with the chickens outside, but I, I really do spend a lot of time inside. Even though it's a small space, um, it's home.
0: Now, where, where are you guys located, Is as accurate as you want to be about that, for folks to just know where you're living, like we're, regionally?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in the Ozark Mountains of northwest Arkansas.
0: Okay, up in my old stomping grounds then. <laughs>
1: um, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but it gets pretty hot up there, so you guys don't have AC, right? How do you, how's that work?
1: Oh, no, we definitely have AC. We're, we're on the grid. We have electricity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you do have power, you just don't have, um, plumbing. You got it. Okay. That's got to make it a lot easier, and cooling 150 square feet can't be that difficult to do.
1: Yeah. It's, you, it's pretty impressive how little energy, you know, how, Lower electric bill can really be um, just, like, this winter, we have a little stand-up uh, space heater, and we have a little, like, the world's smallest little AC unit, and it's just, it doesn't take a lot. And and our bed is um, on the, you know, is bumped up, so it's, like, we just stay really cozy at night. It's, like, especially when it's cold, all that hot air just kind of sticks up there. It's really nice.
0: That's cool. Um, so, given that you... Don't have plumbing. It's an un- we would call it an unconventional house I- at least, right? Yeah. But, um did you have any issues getting grid electricity to it? Like did the the electric company give you any grief or did you just say, Hey, give us a meter here?
1: No, no problem whatsoever. Interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting. That's probably partly because you're you're rural. Um But I mean, that's, that's one of the appeals here. This, you can build a house like this anywhere. How long did it take you to build the house?
1: We didn't actually build it. We went to a shed company who fortunately (laughs) built them for us. And then, uh, a lot of those shed people, you buy it and then you put it together yourself. But these guys, they build it and they drop it off. And if you order a big enough one, they'll, um, they'll build it on site for you. But we ordered it. It took about, what was it? Maybe four weeks at most, and then they delivered it. The builder himself delivered it with his dad and his little son. It was, it was good.
0: And then you guys just set the interior up the way you want. So that was your building portion, I guess.
1: You got it. Yeah, we got the electricity out, electricity done, and then my husband did all the drywall, insulation, you know, painting, all that. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. Cause, I mean, I've looked at a lot of those prefab sheds before and thought, you know, that would make it, you know, a pretty cool little house. And I've seen some of them that are actually fairly large with loft space and all of that.
1: A friend of mine, she, her husband had one in their backyard, and he worked in it from home for, I think it was two years. And I think it was either the size of ours or just a little bit smaller. And his was beautiful. Like, he put bamboo floor and had, you know, like a little, like, I don't know, like a Buddha statue or something. Like, it was just a very nice, like, in his backyard, but he steps away, and he just he's able to focus. So they serve a that, lot of purposes,
0: yeah. That's really cool, and I mean, part of, I think, the appeal, and what I've noticed with a lot of people that build tiny houses is because there's not that much space, you can then afford to put really high-quality components in. I've seen them done with really high-quality floors, and you'd go, well, how can you afford that floor? Well, it's only you know, 100 square feet of flooring that's done that way. Or I've seen gorgeous paneling, and if you tried to do that to a 2,000-square-foot suburban home, it would be just cost-prohibitive. But in these little spaces, you can do those really beautiful finishes if you want to.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more room for uh, experimentation because, like you said, I mean, you're not going to shell out a ton of money. You can try something, and if it works, you know, then, then, hey. And if it doesn't, you can try something else where you can just do what you really want to do even if it costs more because it is a smaller space.
0: I I imagine though it's probably not something for everybody. I mean not everybody's gonna want to live this way. Not that there's anything wrong with it, just some people won't make the sacrifice.
1: Oh absolutely yeah. And this is probably temporary for us. I don't think my husband is like a king. Like he, you know, is not really into the tiny house thing, like when we were talking about it, just like, hey, what would you like in life before we ever knew we were going down this route? Like, I would always say small house, and and that wasn't his vision. That's just not how he, you know, I guess, experiences a home or something. Um, so this so, is kind
0: of a stepping stone for you guys in a it, way?
1: It, it definitely is, yeah. yeah.
0: But, I mean, the other side of it is I look at that and I go, you know, you guys could go get one of those ones, you know, the sheds that look like a barn, uh, and fully equipped, they, they run about like 14 grand, um, you know, framed out and everything. That, and there, you've got an upstairs, then a downstairs, and, and, and you would feel like you were moving into the Taj Mahal in comparison if you upgraded that way. So there's, there's multiple upgrade paths, I guess.
1: There's a girl in town. They have five kids, and husband and wife, and, you know, a bunch of pets, and they, they have a huge, like, like what you're talking about, like a barn style shed. And it's two stories and it is, it is massive and each kid has their own room. It's, it's pretty impressive. And that's actually their temporary house because they also have a vision to build, uh, I think they wanted to do like a cob house or something. So it, oh, wow. it definitely works. Yeah. Especially if you it's... want to be on your land immediately, you know?
0: Sure. I mean, because anybody that has the idea that I'll live in a tent or an RV, this yeah. is a better option. I'm going to tell you right now is someone that spent an awful lot of time living in tents in, in my military days and someone who calls himself a very happy former RV owner. It's it's uh, a, An actual hard wall structure is hard to beat. Yeah. So you guys as a stepping stone, I mean, you've done some pretty amazing stuff here because – let me see my notes here. You guys saved – about $24,000 making low-income wages in 18 months because of this lifestyle, right?
1: Right, exactly.
0: And, And I mean, that's all now part of what you can use to build your future with.
1: Yeah, that was basically the plan. It was like, how can we save the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time so we can make sure we stay focused? It was like, when it became really clear to us that homesteading is our future and we needed to get out of the city, it was For me, it was a a very nervous ambition because I know so many people who have really lofty goals and they just get put on the back burner and just kind of get pushed to the side and, you know, maybe it doesn't happen or something. And I was just really concerned that the thing that was most important to me could just not happen. And so we saved a bunch of money with not a a lot of money and it just worked out and we moved to – Our land and got our tiny house and now we are able to do more because we don't have rent to pay and we don't live in a city with high expenses and it's, it's just a much simpler lifestyle and everything is just so, it's, it's different when you don't have rent like over you. It's strange. It's like our rent in Dallas, the last place that we had was about 500 square feet and it was, uh, 386 a month, really cheap rent, by no stretch did we ever feel stressed about paying three hundred and eighty six dollars a month in rent, but now that we don't have that, it's it's just so it just frees up a lot of a lot of like mental energy, a lot of pressure of like what if something happened like do you know what I'm saying? I'm not really sure oh,
0: I know exactly happened. what you're saying did you when you have a a place of your own. To to me, even because we have some land that is owned in addition to our home that we do have a mortgage on right now, and just knowing that that's there, even though we don't live on on that property, knowing it's there and it could be used tomorrow morning if we had no other choice, is this like the con? You know, there's the old saying that that men always say: I got to keep a roof over the head of the family and food on the table. And when you have a portion of that just buttoned down, locked solid, you know it's yours and no one can take it from you. The anxiety that's removed from your life is amazing and then you can actually live like a human being.
1: Exactly. That's so that's exactly what I'm saying. It's it's really nice, yeah.
0: So how you guys have like 4.7 acres, what did, what did that cost you?
1: We paid 8,000 for the land.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome, you know. And I know what you're saying because I had land in the same not in the Ozarks but in the Washitas which if I picked you up in a helicopter blindfolded you and dropped you off between those two places, you'd go, I didn't go anywhere. It looks exactly the same. Right. And I know that there's some rocks to it and there's the steep hills and all, but you know, with that much land generally there's some stuff you can do and I've seen you guys have chickens, you have gardens, so you guys are you guys are living well on this piece of land. Yes. Yes. Very, very. And you were living in Dallas. That's where I got. I, I was thinking you guys were somewhere near Dallas with this, and I thought it was pretty amazing. I, now I remember the Dallas connection. So, you know, when you guys decided to to leave Dallas, um, obviously there's less expensive land in a place like Arkansas. Was that the first place you looked, or was there a family connection? What 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 took you there?
1: Uh. We had a list of things that we didn't want to sit right on top of. We didn't want to sit directly on top of shale, and we didn't want to sit directly on top of mountaintop removal. We just kind of wanted to be in a a space where we didn't feel concerned, like overly concerned that maybe there would be a compromise on our land one day. And so we looked at a bunch of maps, and uh, the Pacific Northwest and uh, the Ozarks, more or less, there's the Fayetteville shale, but we're right above it, and so this this area was affordable. It, you know, and and you know, more or less in the middle of the United States, so somebody could leave Texas and go for a ride and and come see us, and it would be doable, and vice versa. And the land is so affordable, and the it's very beautiful out here. We we may move, we may move and get a a bigger piece of land with some friends. That's definitely a uh, a realistic thing, but. It's a, a beautiful area, and I, I love it out here.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I do miss parts of it from, from coming back to the, the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area myself. I'm happy where we're at, but there's definitely something special about the, the mountains. And I grew up in Pennsylvania in the Appalachians, and, and the, the Arkansas Mountains always reminded me of where I grew up. But So if I'm hearing you right, then and correct me if I'm wrong, when you guys decided to find a place to live, you didn't say, I want to be... You just decided what worked best for you, and you were free and open, and I, I, I would imagine that made it easier to find a place than saying, you know, I want to live within 20 miles of X.
1: Exactly, yeah. It was more flexible for both of us.
0: So what are your thoughts on, on maybe the concept of using this uh, as a as a part of your life versus your whole life? In other words, there's a lot of people out there that want to set up kind of a fallback location and use it as a vacation property. To me, this seems like an ideal solution, uh, not just for people that want to live there full-time, but people that would maybe use this as a part-time residence.
1: I think it would actually be more ideal for the majority of people. And in, in maybe one day when we have, you know, a... Even more of a home that, that looking back, this would be, you know, that this was more of a vacation, so to speak. I think yeah,
0: <laughs> you just took a long one, and a, exactly. and a, and a, and unlike a, and a long, long most vacations where it costs you money, this one's allowing you to bank money. Exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> you can't you can't beat the price. It's just it's so affordable, and just always being in the woods, always having a safe spot to have all of our stuff. I I don't know how we could beat that. I don't I just don't see a, a a better way. Because like I said, we didn't have to build anything. It just, it was ready to go. We just had to set it up to our taste. Sure.
0: And I, I mean I see a lot of applications for this beyond, you know, full time living. I've actually thought about putting one or two or three of them eventually on my property here since they are so small as guest quarters for my classes. You know, um I'm, because because people are own space and what have you.
1: I've heard you say that and I've, and I've actually thought about that for you very much and I, I couldn't see it being any, any better. You could have it, you could have a decked out one and have multiple beds in it and it would, it could have a kitchen space. Ours has a kitchen space. Your only thing would be, you know, finding where people would shower and if people were comfortable with, you know, having maybe a composting toilet, those kind of things. But in the end, just people, I think it's a huge upgrade not to have to sleep in the car or, or shell out for a motel or, or to sleep in you know whatever kind of weather in a tent. I think I think a a tiny shed would be ideal for for the kind of projects you have coming.
0: Yeah, I mean we we my my think is, thing is you know I've got certain things I got to do this year, but I was thinking about phasing them in, and it's the beautiful thing is I could phase, if I wanted to do three total eventually, I could phase one a year in uh and budget for that and I you know, I, I think that it's it's got a great application for that. The other application that I I've kinda kicked around, and this is also from Latin America, is the concept of people that do something like you've done, but then instead of building a bigger house, kinda take a compound approach. So eventually the first house becomes kind of the kitchen house and the second house becomes the bug house. Yeah. And I've even seen people build fairly decent sized ones of these things on wheels. Uh, and, and the fact that you could just pick up and leave and, and take your house with you seems quite interesting to me.
1: Yeah, very ideal for sure.
0: I mean, if you had two trucks and two two a spout, you know, two people, a married couple, you could take two with you and just go somewhere else. I've I've even kicked around the idea of like the you know the gypsy lifestyle. If you had property in the north and the south. It's hot as blazes in the summer in the south, and it's cold in the in the north. You can just go back and forth every year. I mean, it just seems like there's a certain amount of freedom in a lifestyle like that. Absolutely. So, how many animals do you guys have? You guys got like, i'm are all these pictures on your site your animals? I've got pigs here, and
1: no, that that's our pig farmer. They do a, okay. a great job. So we had to take pictures of their cute little piglets. Um, we have what? one rooster and we have three hens right now and i think we're about to get some more so that, that's all we have for for animals right now it's just that
0: okay that's cool and i mean you guys are doing the full full-on homesteading thing and you guys even are making like you have your own business there you guys do woodworking and instruments and stuff like that
1: exactly my husband does uh woodcraft and i'm I have a full-time job waitressing, and I've been jumping on board with him. Woodworking is really fun. It's very uh decompressing, and it's a nice uh, little crea- creative boost that I don't get at my job. So I've been woodworking with him, but he, he does the bulk of it. He has a passion to build instruments. He's built some really beautiful guitars and a bass, and we sell stuff at the farmer's market. We sell... Like uh, wooden spoons and kitchen spoons, and making bowls and gourds, cups, and just kitchen stuff. Things that that you can hand down to your you know your grandkids. Things that'll last. Beautiful wood. Yeah.
0: I'm looking at some of it on your on your site, and some of it is really gorgeous. I'm even seeing some pretty cool looking guitar picks. Um, yeah. Which is a logical offset, but you know spoons with inlay. Some of the inlay work uh, a ring a wooden ring. It's yeah. really cool stuff. And I think that's another thing that people, like I think when everybody thinks of farmer markets, they think of, you know, vegetables and fruits and all. And there's a lot of that there, but it's, it, there's a lot of opportunity there for people to do kind of homestead businesses. Uh This woodworking is a great one. Uh, there was a guy at the Arkansas one that I used to go to all the time. All he did was sharpen knives and nice. he charged five bucks a knife. And I'd watch that guy go through 10 knives an hour that's 50 bucks an hour sitting on his butt sharp and knives for two days a week.
1: Yeah, I uh, I make toothpaste, uh, fancy zeolite clay toothpaste and some chapstick. and it's just, it's just nice to be out there, get some sun and meet everybody in the community and just be a part of that. It's so nice. The farmer's market is definitely the way to go.
0: And I'm going to warn guys out there that might be musicians or guitarists, if you go to this website and look at some of these guitars, you're going to want to buy one. <laughs> They're asked, I mean I'm looking at the it looks like an electric guitar here and it mm-hmm. that is a gorgeous instrument. I I don't even play and I I'd want that hanging on my wall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um you know my my other question for you is for people that want to get started, you actually have an ebook that that helps them understand doing all this, right? Right, yes. It's
1: a it's a two-part ebook. It's It's short. It's 33 pages. It's very concise. It's it's not get distracted on why you might want to do this. Everybody has their own reason. Um, it's, it's not redundant. It's this, this is, this is the two parts to the whole book. One part is how, how we saved our money, how we saved 18, uh, in 18 months, $24,000, me being a waitress. And at the time my husband was making $10 an hour at a health food store. And, uh, it just goes step by step how we save the money from a to b there's no guessing work i how i saved every dollar how much money we spent on food and all that and then the second half is from the very beginning of us buying land till moving in so the excavation how much that cost how much it cost to get the electrician to come out two or three times and uh, all the cost to just setting up a tiny house. It's like what I wanted to know because nobody told me how to do any of this. It was like, what are the steps? It's like, I just, I wish I knew from the very beginning, every little thing to expect. I mean, get taking the guesswork out, just kind of make it streamlined. But, uh, I just wanted to make it as black and white as possible because it's so easy. And if you, when you see the steps laid out, it, it's very conceivable. I've had, Numerous people who've read it and just were blown away. It was like they could conceive of how to do this, whereas before it just seemed doable, but maybe overwhelming or just kind of, uh you know, when you don't really know, there's something there you want to know, but you don't know what it is that you don't know, and and that just
0: you don't know, you know what you don't know, and that makes you not know. <laughs> there you
1: go. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, you know, and I, I think the other thing is that I have been looking into this for a long time, and every website that I've seen on this, and some of these people build beautiful, beautiful homes, but almost every one of these folks is building the thing completely from the ground up from scratch. I haven't seen a lot of shed conversions, and to me, that just makes infinite sense to simplify and speed up the process, because not everybody's a master carpenter. And, you you know, in your situation, uh, one of the two in the couple is actually a a great woodworker, but that doesn't always translate to framing out a house and building a roof. And then there's a – like, so – he could be building a guitar that you're going to sell for hundreds or thousands of dollars versus framing in a roof that somebody else can do. And that framing part of that roof in the, you know, the the microcosm of the cost really cost you a hundred bucks.
1: Well, the other thing is when we were looking, just even entertaining the idea of getting a a tiny house, um, a friend of ours had bought two of those Um, and theirs was a kit. And we just assumed you had to build it yourself. And, Mm -hmm. Mark's first, you know, his initial response was, I, I can't do that. Like, he's a woodworker, and he was just so intimidated by the, the idea of building something that he had never done, and it's something you're going to live in, so it's kind of important to do it right. And then when we found the people who who build them um, and deliver them already built, he looked at it, and he was basically like, I don't think I could do this for cheaper, just buying it myself. And plus, we don't have a truck, so hauling wood is just this is just so streamlined. It's hard to even describe how easy the, the process
0: was. Yeah. I, I, it, it makes me want to go buy a, a piece of land for this purpose alone. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, like I need to go find a place. Cause what I've been looking for is like some river bottom land on like the Trinity or something like that. And, and I don't even care if it's on grid honestly, as a, is a, as a retreat location. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nice to be able to run an air
1: conditioner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: That's, like I can I can deal with the cold. It's called a fire. It's yeah. easy to deal with cold. The the heat is just at, at some point during the day you want to sleep without sweat on you when you go to bed at least. Yes. So I, I mean, if you had this to do again, obviously you're happy with the results. But is there anything maybe you would do differently if you had the 2020 hindsight? Hmm. See, I go off script and I ask these complex questions.
1: <laughs> no, that's great. Um, you know, for where we're at right now, everything is, is really good. The This is maybe not directly related, but if we would have done anything differently, it wouldn't actually have been the house itself. It would have been the order at which we had done it. Because, like I said, we bought the land we're intending actually to, to live in a tent, somehow got snaggled into buying an R V. The R V was a total um a money hole and it just in the end we <laughs> sold it without even getting it up to Arkansas. It was just a, a a great idea that just was not gonna actually become a reality. And so when we moved up here, we lived in the car in the hottest part of it's similar to Texas weather. It's just so hot in the car. Yeah. You know,
0: Triple-digit days. In uh-huh. fact, I think, like, I, I don't know what year you did this, but last year, I last know year, it was hotter. But- it was hotter in Arkansas a lot of times than it was in Texas because having family here, we always look at the weather here. And, and we're going, okay, we're up in the mountains, and we're in further north, and it's 106 here, and it's only 101 there. What the heck's going on? Yeah,
1: that's that's when we were living in the car. It was, it was crazy. It was like living in an attic, and... uh that, that would definitely be the part we did differently. So we're pretty adventurous people apparently because we lived in the car while kind of figuring everything out. I just, you know, wish I would have had a, you know, a very, a very solid plan. I thought it was solid, but you know how life is. It's just full of adventure left and right apparently. So, which is fine. I, I have that under my belt and that, those words of wisdom to give to anyone who wants to do something off the cuff like that, I guess.
0: So for bathroom purposes, you guys have what, a composting toilet outhouse type situation?
1: You got it. Yep. We have okay. a humanure kind of thing and we shower at the rec center, which is, is not far. And we don't shower every day. That's just not our style.
0: I think I'd probably set up some kind of an outdoor shower myself, at least during the summer.
1: Everybody <laughs> says that. I think, I think that, um, that that is actually in the making. I think, I think that would be actually be a benefit for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, just, <laughs> We just put a pool in, and I I picked up, um like, a prefab outdoor shower that's really not for taking shower showers, but <laughs> just to cool the heck off in the middle of the day when you're outside working, you know. That just seems like a cool thing to do, and it's not hard. Um, We're also about to put in 50, a 1,500-gallon rain catchment tank, and I, I nice. think that that's a, a – of course, the one downside of the tiny house is you only have so much roof to catch.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of big dreams for rain catching for sure on this side, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you guys have any kind of additional hard shell building, like additional shed for tools or anything like that?
1: Yeah. we. Okay. When we moved out of the car, like I said, we came broke. We gave all, all the house building money to some family, so we moved to Arkansas in the car, and then we were trying to figure out what we were doing, and then we bought a... 8x8 shed and lived in that for a month while we were getting our 10x16 shed built. And so that 8x8 shed is is the woodworking shed that my husband uses. Mm -hmm.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So that was 64 square
1: feet. I will say this. If you live in a car, (laughs) sleeping in an 8x8 shed is like a mansion. It's like waking up and it's like vaulted ceilings. It is so nice.
0: See, that's what I'm saying, if you guys ever build even, like, a little 700 or 600-square-foot house, you're going to feel like you're in a Taj Mahal. Exactly, yeah. I
1: already, uh, yeah, on board. <laughs> I, uh, I
0: I think it's interesting, though, that, you know, people would look at the lifestyle you have today and go, that's really cool, but you guys, it, it wasn't like it just fell into place. You guys had to, to, to want it bad enough to sleep in the car in Arkansas for a while, crazy, and they eat.
1: Crazy, yeah.
0: You had to want it. I mean, you had to make it happen and you had to get up there and, fi- and find some source of income initially to at least have some money and, and to get this thing off the ground and to pay for the, the shed and then to pay for the, the, the shed that became the, the house. Yep. Um, so it, it, it seems like it's, when I look at it though, overall, I go, this is something anybody could do.
1: Yes. If you want it. Yes. Very, very doable. And, it it definitely did not require the whole twenty four thousand. Um, the land was eight thousand dollars, and the shed was I think it was twenty. Like our house was twenty three hundred dollars before, you know, before we added all the things to make. Just it.
0: the shell was twenty three hundred bucks.
1: You got it. Uh huh. That's, nothing. Then, that's, it,
0: that's yeah, nothing. no, it's not. I'm thinking. I mean, you know, and then you drywall. He he did the work himself and. Yep. You, 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 if you mess up a sheet or two, you learn as you go and fix it. And it, it's not that much drywall. It's about the size of the room I'm sitting in right now. And I'm doing the math in my head and that's not that much. And, um, you know, your kitchen is pretty basic. It's, it's, it doesn't even have plumbing. So it's, it's, it's just basically a space that you have allocated for food prep. So yeah, I mean, you know, the, the money that you spent on it was spent to make it the way you wanted it, not just to make it, you know, absolutely bare bones functional.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Would you would you trade it for living back in the city today?
1: Um no, not no, not at all. <laughs> it's I mean there were so many things that came along to living in the woods, to owning a, you know, our tiny house that I could not have foreseen. You know, I look back And living in the city was actually really stressful. I didn't know it was stressful because it was just my day to day. But then, um, when we moved to the woods, it was like after it took about two months to really decompress some of that built up stress. I was working in downtown. I took the bus. I was just dealing with, you know, a variety of people that I didn't want to deal with just from being in living in a city and and having, you know, to pay public transportation. And it was just. The stress that built up that I wasn't even aware of and then moving into – and I was really nervous. I was nervous that moving to the woods may be not my personality. I didn't know I was taking a leap, you could say, and it's, it really fits. And now, We go back to Texas maybe once every six weeks or so, um, and it's we go there for people. For, you know, friends and family, but for the city, definitely not. It's, it's always, uh, a bit overstimulating, a bit, a bit too much.
0: <laughs> I know that when I, when we moved back here, you know, and I found a place where I'm kind of out of the, the, the metro mess. And, but when I go to see family down in, in the Mansfield area and I drive through this thing, uh, I'm like, Wow, you know, a year and a half away from this really made me not to want to ever see it again. And we actually, I know you're familiar with the, the Dallas Fort Worth area. We're up in the northwest of Fort Worth, and we take 820 all the way around and take 20 back into Mansfield uh, just to avoid that whole mid cities, Fort Worth down to all that crud. We just don't go near there. Um, and it's worth an extra 15 minutes to not even be part of that.
1: Oh, it's worth more than 15 minutes. Can I go through
0: that? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's, if there's bad traffic, which there always is, it doesn't even take 15 more minutes because you'd spend the time sitting instead of driving. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you so see, you guys, you, you know, this isn't your, maybe your permanent place, but you guys have used it as a great stepping stone. When you do decide to do something different, if you decide you want more land and what have you, do you foresee selling the whole place as is or maybe throwing that sucker on a trailer and taking it with you?
1: So when we originally bought it, we thought it was forever. We picked up the land with the intention of that's it. And now that we have friends that um, you interviewed Courtney Clay about unschooling. She's a friend. Oh,
0: her, yeah. I remember. She's great.
1: She is. She is a, a, very, a very great person for sure. And so we're uh, talking about combining our efforts and getting land together with another one of our friends or maybe actually a small handful of friends. So now that you know, the the vision is a bit bigger than originally. So, um you know, when we first thought of it, we were like, Of course we're gonna take our tiny house. Why you know, we can. We can even put it in storage if you know what I mean, if we're in transition, if we sold our land Yeah and, and we didn't really have a, you know, completely solid plant. We had options and the, the all the options involved us taking it with us. But then when we really did the math, it just seems it seems to us right now that we've added enough value to our land that it it's worth selling it with it on it.
0: Yeah, I would with with what you paid for the land originally, exactly. the fact that there's electricity there and a livable structure. Yeah. Um I think that you would make enough on it that you could turn around and take the profit and buy twice what you have and break even off of the off of the original cost. And that that just mathematically doesn't make sense then to, to to take it other than, you know, it was your first house. Right. And there's always that. Because it's the one thing that's kind of cool. It's like, you know, somebody, and I have this, like, attachment to my first house, and I wouldn't want to live there today, but it still was my first house. For sure. You know, and it's, it's like your first car. You never want to sell your first car to a buddy because then you're going to have to look at it. You know, <laughs> and even if it's a beater, you, it still was your car, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't spend any time thinking about, not having our house because it, it is kind of sad you know it's like it's yeah. so cute it's like so colorful and there will never be another house exactly like it it is not a cookie cutter house by any stretch and so it's it's sad to think of of moving forward but moving forward is always good so
0: and how old are you guys
1: um i'll be 30 this year and mark will be 26 at the end of the summer
0: so so right when most people are getting into debt for maybe making that first leap or some people are still living in the basement at home you guys are free and clear and planning the rest of your life without stress that is that is awesome that is a great story
1: mark was 22 when we decided we were going to homestead so when he was 22 we started saving and that's how we are that's that's how we got to where we are i'm I'm really impressed with him as a as a human being. He blows away what I was like at 22, and and as and as a result of all this, he he's a, a woodworker. He gets to do what he wants to do, and he's really good at it.
0: See, and I think that that's that. What you guys are doing is real homesteading, yeah. and what I mean by that is the, the original homesteaders, the homesteading generation, which was actually probably about four generations of Americans that that did this in the 1800s and carved uh a living out of out of nothing. And I I was just talking about how I think we always call a World War II generation the greatest generation. And I I think of those guys in the eighteen hundreds, maybe that was really the greatest generation uh because they had to do so much with so little. Like you guys had somebody prefab the the shed. Um has have electrical grid. Can you imagine if you just think about your piece of land with no roads, just trails, uh, and pulling in with some horses and trying to do what you have done you know, the way it would have been done 150 years ago. And, well, and, and and today we have this opportunity to do it with so much more uh, resources at our disposal than those folks did.
1: Right. When we first moved onto the land um, and we were staying in the car and then we were staying in the shed, it was like, I had these lofty ideas when I was living in, in Dallas about um, what it would be like to to live off-grid without electricity and then just, you know, what what that experience would be like. And then I think we lived in the car for maybe a month or so, and then we lived in the shed for maybe a month or so. So there was maybe two to three months that we didn't have electricity of our own. You know, buying a a bag of ice to somebody else with electricity. So it, it kind of is a gray area, but even with that, it was a huge eye-opener. It's like there's no way that we could just drop in the middle of, you know, of any land and just kind of set up shop the way I was imagining, you know, in Danica Sure, and Land. Wh-
0: where would you have gotten a bag of ice in the Ozark Mountains in 1840?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think people understand how good we have it today, even when we live in a very scaled-back, simplistic lifestyle. Exactly, yes. But you guys got a taste of it <laughs> in that car. That has to be just, yeah. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, but the, the example then is that you guys are able to kind of build your life now the way you want it. And it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a gateway. And I think that, like, the time to do this for most people should be in their 20s. Because that, that's when you have the freedom to do it before you get tricked into the gerbil wheel life. Right. So your website where people can learn more about this, get your ebook, all that good stuff is?
1: Yes, yeah, it's tinyhouseandland.com. And there's a video so you can get a little visual tour of exactly what we're talking about. We'll show you just how our little house is set up.
0: Awesome, and I'll make sure I include a, uh, a link in the show notes to that and your Facebook page and all that good stuff so uh, people can connect with you. And I appreciate you being with us today and sharing your story. Thank you. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Melanie Sorrentino helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs Sometimes we forget we
1: are what we eat I don't know the answer, it's like there's nothing I can do
0: Can't pay Nobody up there cares They're living for